Thank you for listening to Emmanuel Baptist Church's podcast. For more information about the church, please visit our website at www.emmanuelmanning.com. Thanks and enjoy the sermon. We're looking today at Mark chapter 4, verses 21 to verse 34. And if you open up your Bible and, and keep it there uh, while we look at this text together, that would be great. Follow along as I read. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. And when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown in the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Um, Whenever I am sad or blue or in need of a pick-me-up, there's a couple of different kinds of videos I'll go to watch uh, on the internet. If it's been a long day and I just need a laugh, uh, I'll go on the internet and look up uh, news bloopers where people who are reading the news make a blooper and inevitably I'll feel better and be lighthearted and laugh. But one kind of video I just cannot help but watch are those videos where little children get those cochlear implants and hear for the first time. These things travel on Facebook like nobody's business. And of course, these children have either had a really hard time hearing, and sometimes it's teenagers, sometimes it's adults, uh, and you get to watch that moment where they turn on that cochlear device and these people hear for the first time. And I, I always shed a tear. There's not been one yet where I don't just like the things well up and, and tears form because you just see on their face just utter delight in something that we just take for granted every day. Uh, And you see babies hear their mother's voice for the first time and just watch their, they don't even know what they're doing. I watched one this morning, yes, this morning, where a little kid just heard his parents' voice for the first time. He just turned and hugged his mom and squeezed her neck. It was a mixture of, I don't know what's going on here and I've known that voice, even though I've never heard it. And so, of course, a tear or two made its way to my desk this morning. 
Well, the reason I would begin with a story like that, if you haven't seen those, you need to go watch them. They will break your hard heart, all right? Because they break my hard heart all the time. The reason I would begin with that is because something akin to that is what happens when you hear the voice of the Lord for the first time. You may have been reading the Bible like it was sign language. It may have been garbled and hard to understand. And then all of a sudden something happens and you hear Jesus's voice. I remember when I was um, 22 years old and I had been through a very difficult season where I just didn't feel like I could really spiritually hear or see anything. And then for the first time in nearly uh, two years, the Lord just spoke comfort to my heart through his word. And I was so happy. I almost burst. Just, I hear, I hear and if you were reading closely with me this morning, you would see that in continuation from last week, Jesus is still talking about hearing. He spoke to the people in parables so that those that had the, uh, the, the ear of the spirit would hear in it kingdom truths that they could believe and respond to. And for those who were still deaf, they would be deaf still. And Jesus says here, in a couple of different ways, some parables about the kingdom that we would do well to hear and pay attention to this morning. Now, some people can hear better than others. And so as we look at the text this morning, I want to give you a couple of clues here as we transition into our points. And that's this. I'm going to give you a hermeneutics lesson. You're like, what? You're going to give me a what? What? I didn't hear that word. Hermeneutics is a class that all guys who are going to be pastors and you take it in Bible college. Hermeneutics actually comes from the name of the Greek god Hermes. Hermes was the one that brought the messages down from heaven. Hermeneutics is the, the way, the rules, the art, and the science of understanding and interpreting the Bible, okay? So let me give you one quick hermeneutics lesson this morning because you're going to need to know it or you're not going to hear what's going on. And that is this, that just because Jesus says something in one passage and he says something that sounds the same in a different passage, it does not mean that he has the same point. As someone who speaks a lot, when you have a good line or a good story, you try to get as much mileage out of it as you possibly can, right? You say the same things and you may use it in different contexts and saying it here means this and saying it here means another thing. And we're going to run into that. Uh, a couple of times this morning because Jesus is obviously using illustrations here that is used in other places with different meanings. For instance, in verse 21, he says, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on the stand? And Jesus in Matthew will say, hey, you're the light. And so you need to let your light shine. You need to be a city on a hill. And so you may read this and think, okay, in Mark 4, Jesus is doing the same thing that he's doing in Matthew 5, telling us that uh, we're lights, we're bright, and we need to go out and shine for his glory. That is not what he means here. Secondly, in this text, Jesus says, um, for with the measure that you measure, it will be measured to you. He says that again in Matthew 7, 
And in Matthew 7, that is the famous verse that is now maybe the most quoted verse in the Bible, judge not lest you be judged, right? Uh, it used to be John 3.16 or Deuteronomy 6, now it's Matthew 7. And Jesus says, because if you judge harshly, you'll be judged harshly. If you judge lightly, you'll be judged lightly. And that's a, a way of phrasing what he means there. When he says it here in verse 24, he means something completely different by it. And so one of the things I would tell you is when you read the Bible, uh, here's a little phrase that you'll hear a lot in seminaries and, and in other places. A text without a context is a pretext for a proof text. What does that mean? It means read everything in context. Okay? Because sometimes when Jesus talks about leaven, he's talking about sin. You get a little bit of leaven, a little bit of sin, and it spoils the whole lump. Sometimes when Jesus is talking about leaven, he's talking about the church and its growth. And so this morning we need to read carefully because we want to hear. We want to hear our Lord's voice and what is being said here. And so as we look at this this morning, I'm going to give us three points because I'm a Baptist and that's what you do. I'm kidding because that's what is in the text. And here are my three points. Are you ready? Number one, the future is bright. We got a lamp that's come out. The future is bright. Number two, the future is green. Don't worry, I won't be talking about electric cars. And number three, the future is Christ's. And what do you know? I stuck a fourth one on here. I'm not a Baptist. The future is for listeners. So number one, the future is bright. Number two, the future is green. Number three, the future is Christ's. Number four, the future is for listeners. Now, when I say the future is bright, what do I mean? Well, those first two verses in our text this morning, Mark 4, 21 and 22, talk about light. And sometimes Bible translators can fall into the same traps as Bible readers. They see something that looks familiar, and so they translate it in some ways the way that it is elsewhere. And that's kind of what we have here, because in the original language, Mark is weird on purpose it's sort of like last week when it talked about jesus going out in the boat and sitting on the sea you're like and if you read that in greek you go what, what why what why is he sitting on the sea well you would know if you were a good old testament reader that there's only one who walks on the ocean and sits on the sea who is it so mark again is one of those bible writers that uses things that are unclear to make a theological point and that's what we have here because in Matthew chapter 5 and in other places, it, it basically says, is a lamp brought out to be put under a bowl or under a bed? And we're like, why in the world would you even light it if you're going to put it under a bowl or a bed? Of course you don't bring a lamp out for that. But that's not what Mark says here in our language. Look at verse 21. In, in Greek, it doesn't say, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket? In Greek, it says... Does the lamp come in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? In other words, in the original language here, <clears throat> and they translate it this way because they don't want it to be confusing. But I think they miss Mark's point. A, a lamp is not something that's being acted upon in the Greek. In Greek, the lamp is the subject of the sentence. Does this make sense? So it's the lamp that's coming in. And it doesn't say is a lamp indefinite article it is is the lamp does the lamp come in and if you again this is mark's way of kind of tipping his hat to the old testament because the lord in the old testament is called 
in some ways, the lamp. And so what we have here is not the, the idea that happens in Matthew where Jesus says, you're the light of the world. Don't hide your talents or your gifts. Go out and spread the gospel. Here, Jesus is not saying you're the light. Jesus is saying what? I'm the light. And you, you don't bring me in. I what? I come in. So that, that's the idea here in the original language. Jesus is saying, does a light come in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? And that's a rhetorical question. The answer, of course, is what? Of course not. I mean, if a light comes in, we're probably, everything's going to clear the room, right? If a lamp comes in, I don't expect like Beauty and the Beast to walk in behind it. But um, thank you for those of you who got that reference. But um, Jesus is saying, I have come and you cannot put me under a bed or under a basket. In other words, I have come in to shine, and guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to shine. Now, if, if this room were completely dark, the windows were covered over, there was absolutely no light, pitch black, um, and you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. I hate being in places like that. Uh, no matter where anybody was in the room, if they lit a light, where would our eyes be drawn? Immediately to the light. I had a Sunday school teacher back when I was in college who said they've never made something called a flash dark, where you flip it on and it just makes things dark. It, that doesn't happen. That's not the way it works. Light overtakes darkness. Light shines in darkness. And what Jesus is saying, especially with verse 22, is this. For... Nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. This is Jesus saying, I have come out to shine, and although at first it may look like I am covered and things are secret, by the time everything comes about, this light is going to shine like crazy. And it's actually a message of hope. The gospel the kingdom, the coming of Christ cannot stay hidden. Nothing can obscure it. Nothing can shadow it. Nothing can engulf it. The God who said, let light shine out of darkness, Paul says, is the same God who has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. He shines into the darkness and there is no way to cover it. Which means this, Jesus is giving us a parable of the kingdom. He's telling us something about what the kingdom of God is like. And, and listen to what he says, because I think that many of you, because of just the tenor of the day and the, the way the news works and the way that evangelicals are used to talking, we talk almost as if we need uh, to shine more lights on Jesus to make him bright, and we need to... Uh, we, we worry lest the darkness overcome it. Can darkness do that? No. No, it can't. And, and, and Jesus and his kingdom and his rule and his government is going to shine everywhere. The Listen to me. The light wins. And I know I say this a lot, but I feel like I have to say this a lot because of the last 200 years in evangelical subculture, we have had a bunker mentality. Let's make sure that in our churches we have enough cans of food so that when the, 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 uh, the bad times happen, we can hunker down in here and, and maybe just maybe survive things until the Lord comes back and, and maybe does something. And I'm thinking that's what that has done is that's made us uh, 
scared and it's made us quiet and it makes us cower in the face of arguments and things that we should not cower and, uh, and uh, fall down in front of. The Lord made the earth, right? The Lord established nature, right? And no matter what man tries to do, if we try to act not in accordance with our nature, it will not lead to happiness. It will only lead to misery. And no matter how bad it seems like the bad guy is winning, seriously, people should just go stand in the ocean and tell the tide not to come in. You can stand on low tide in the sand and command all day long that the tide must stay out. And what will happen? You will get wet. In the same way, we need to have a victory mindset. Not you having your victory, but in Christ, you having a victory, sharing in the victory of Christ. You need to share the gospel as if it's actually true. We need to talk to people as if Jesus really is Lord and they owe him uh, their allegiance. We need to share the gospel with hope not thinking somehow that it could fail. One pastor says this, let's not worry when we don't have all the answers, when we can't quite articulate the message perfectly, when we're put on the spot. The power to chase shadows away, the shadows of unbelief from human hearts doesn't lie with us, it never did. It lies with the lamp, it lies with Christ, it lies with the gospel. Jesus is so powerful that he can draw a straight line with a crooked stick, right? And I, you crooked stick? And so we need to actually to speak to people, not in any way that lacks understanding or sympathy, but we need to talk to people as if Jesus actually is Lord. And, and you'd be amazed. The light shines. So the future is bright. And when Jesus shares these parables of the kingdom, that's the one that he is saying. He's like, I, the lamp has come in. And one day, everything is going to be made manifest. And one thing, everything secret is going to come to light. And so walk and live in hope. Secondly, Jesus says the future is green. Again, I'm not going to apply this by telling everybody to buy a Tesla. That's an electric car for those of you who have no idea what's going on there. When Jesus says the future is green, listen to what he says. And he said, the kingdom of God, in verse 26, is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. When I was reading this, I was thinking about, um, for all of us who went to public school in the 80s and 90s, right? At some point, you were given like a butter bean or a lima bean in science class, Right? And you had to bury that butter bean or whatever in the dirt and you watered it and you watched it and it seemed like nothing was happening. And then after a few days, what would happen? A little sprout would come up and you'd have your own plant and you would take it home and it would end up in the dirty clothes hamper in the back of your closet somehow and die and cause things to stink. Maybe that was just me. Uh, but what Jesus is saying here is the kingdom of God is like that seed. And I like what he says. Um, look at verse 28. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. That word for uh, by itself is the word from which we get automatically. Now, 
in case you're in here and you're a farmer, I don't think Jesus is short-selling farmers. I know lots of farmers. They're the, I don't know lots. I know several farmers, uh, and they're among the hardest-working people I know. Jesus is not saying, your job is easy. I do all the work. Um, what he's saying is, for all the things that you do, you don't actually make anything grow, right? I mean, when the seed's put in the ground, between then and harvest, there's buildings to put up and clean. There's equipment to refurbish and get ready. There's, thing, there's always things to do. But what he's saying is no one can, like, stand in a freshly sown field and go, hey, come on, grow. I need to see some, some grass and some, I need, I need to, no, what does a farmer do? He just, he plants, he does his work, and then he lays down, and the, the, the seed itself grows. What is Jesus saying in this parable? He's saying a lot of things, but the one I want to focus on ties into the last point, and it's this. Is our responsibility to make anybody a Christian? Can we even do that? I've not yet developed the gift for making dead things live. I can do the other well, right? But I don't have the capacity to give anything life, much less spiritual life. I don't, I don't have that capacity. I only have one obligation as a believer, and what is that believer's obligation? It's plant. It's just to plant. And then to plant... And to do the, the simple things necessary to help that seed to do what it's going to do. I mean, farming has gotten a lot more technical over the years. But if you think about it, it it's, it's not easy, but it's simple, right? You, you plow the field. You plant the seed. You do something to take care of weeds. You help make sure it stays watered. And what happens? All that's gotten a lot more mechanized and industrialized, but the fundamental processes are, are still the same. And I think what Jesus is saying here is a word for us as a church, and that is just sow the seed. God has given us the means, and if we just trust in his way, the results will come. And just like the last parable was a call to hope, this parable is a call to patience, to be content with the pace of growth that God gives us and to be content with the means that God gives us. One pastor said this. He says, week in and week out, I get stuff in the mail, and I do as well, that tells me the latest, greatest methods for getting people to understand the gospel. If people are going to understand the gospel, you got to do this. If you're going to get bodies and bucks in the pews, uh, you need to do these things. If you'll just automate this process here or do that here, uh, this will help you grow and expand your ministry. No. No. You know what really causes growth? sowing the seed and uh, people who don't know what to say but have a lot of heart praying and baptizing people and giving the Lord's Supper and living together in love, bearing one another's burdens, forgiving each other. Like, again, church is like farming. It's simple. It's just not what? 
easy. And so what we like to do is we either like to complicate it or automate it or mechanize it just to kind of help the Lord a little bit, right? The problem is the best ministries aren't flashy. Now, a lot of those things help. Good leadership principles are great. Um, you know, it's not like we're sitting here this morning at the base of a tree with no electricity and no, we, we got words we flash up. We got all kinds of things we do. But the point is, we do this, the, the hard but simple things that the Lord has given us to do, and we trust him for the growth. We, we preach the word, and then we go sleep, right? And the problem is, is maybe there's somebody in your life that you've been sharing the gospel with for a long, long time, and you really, really love them. And so what you begin to think is, maybe if I do this here, and maybe just manipulate this here, or say this in this way or do this thing here or maybe if I take them to do this or and you begin to do more than share the word you begin to manipulate uh, you're not going to lead them to Christ right throughout the scripture God gives us simple but difficult things to do one of the simplest but most difficult things to do in order to bring about change is just to continue to share the word and to live in love and then to sleep at night, knowing that God will in his time and in his way give the growth. So we have a call to hope and we have a call to patience. I've been here 11 years and you're going to think this is easy for you to say. Um, somebody told me one time, don't overestimate as a pastor what you can do in five years and don't underestimate what you can do in 15. So we'll see how things go. When it gets to 15, I'll probably change that to 20, but you get the point. And notice also that growth, all of these things are organic images, aren't they? And not only because that's all that Jesus had, but because we're organic things too, right? Which means that there's going to be spring times of a lot of growth and there's going to be winter times of what? Of what looks like no growth, but that's when some of the best work happens, right? When do trees grow? Do they grow in the spring or do they grow in the winter? They grow in the winter. You just see the growth in the spring, right? They harden up and expand in the winter and then they shoot up in the spring. It's the same thing here. Be content with the pace of growth that God gives us. Be content with the means that he's ordained for that growth. I mean, let's be honest. If you really, really wanted to get people in here and, and, and affect them emotionally, there's a whole lot of things we could be doing. We could be showing video clips. I'm not saying those are all bad. I'm just saying they're mostly bad, right? We can, um, we can do drama presentations. Those aren't all bad either. Uh, we can do all kinds of things. Or you can have a nerd stand in front of you and talk for 50 minutes sometimes, right? But the Bible says, through the foolishness of preaching, God is pleased to call his people. And not just my preaching, but yours. Patience. So the future is green. It's green. The, the planted seed will bear its fruit. And we need to trust that year after year, even as we try and share the gospel with the hard-hearted people in our own life. Number three, the future is Christ. Let's look at verse 30 through 33. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which 
when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. People are often um, puzzled by the fact that Jesus, if he's God, would know better than to call the mustard seed the smallest seed because it's not the smallest seed. And I look at those people and I go, bless your heart. Bless you. Is the Bible a scientific textbook or is the Bible a book written to people using the forms of language that they use? It's the second, right? I mean, I hate to break this to you. Most of the Bible is poetry. I got to understand metaphor. I've got to understand not only like uh, language that conveys information, but also language that is affected. I got to do, I got to understand. I hate poetry, Drew. The Bible's a lot of, maybe it's mostly narrative, but just after that, it's poetry. No, Jesus is talking to people. The smallest seed they had ever seen would have been a what? I think there's like 200 to a gram. They're really small. And, and Jesus, again, he says, um, uh, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. And again, what is meant by earth there? He may mean on land. In other words, in the land that we live on, on the land of Israel, the smallest of the seeds that we see is a mustard seed. That's not the point. The point is not Jesus was giving a scientific treatise. Jesus was trying to make a point. What was the point he was trying to make? That even though the seed is very small, what is the bush like? Big. As a matter of fact, 200, I think 200 seeds per gram uh, of mustard seed, and this was a, a black mustard, uh, the trees could grow to be 10 to 12 feet from one seed. Uh, as a matter of fact, it grew so big and kind of so uncontrollably that in a second century document called the Mishnah, it forbids planting mustard seed in Palestinian gardens because they, they treated it kind of like we treat kudzu. You know what kudzu does? We know what kudzu does. We're like, yeah, again, if I could travel back in history, there's three things I would do. Two of them involve murder, but let that go. Uh, the first is I would see the resurrection of Christ. The second is I'd probably strangle the person who thought bringing kudzu was cool. And the third thing is, is I'd kill the person who thought about reality television. But that's all. Okay. It's like kudzu. In other words, it, it just kind of takes over. And they said it attracts the unwanted birds who uh, disturb the garden. You think that's exactly why Jesus used it? What is he saying? He says, this is what the kingdom is like. Let me compare it. And what's crazy is, <coughs> again, Mark, I love him. He says, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? Now, if you're a good Old Testament reader, you would know that that sounds a whole lot like Isaiah 40. Because in Isaiah 40, it says this, with what can we compare the Lord? Or with what likeness will you compare him? Jesus picks up that kind of vocabulary about the Lord in Isaiah 40, and he uses it here at the kingdom of God. He says, all right, what, kind of, what can we compare this kingdom of God? What parable shall we use for it? Mark's going back to those Old Testament great texts about the Lord, and he's saying the kingdom of God is going to be amazing. And what he's saying is, is that even though it starts small, how does it end up? Huge. And you think, yeah, I mean, nine, you know, 
three meters, it's pretty tall, that's great. And, you know, the church is, is pretty tall, that's great. But, I mean, it, we've, we've filled out, uh, you know, all the requirements of this passage, Drew. We, we don't need to be quite that hopeful. Well, again, if you only knew your Old Testament, it says this in verse 32. When it's sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and put out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. That phrase, so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade, is used of world-dominating kingdoms in the Old Testament. God would describe some of these old kingdoms in the Old Testament, Assyria and places like this. Ezekiel 17, 23 is an example of this. They're these huge trees that grow and their dominance of the world is pictured in the fact that all kinds of birds can come and make nests in its branches. And so when Jesus says that this small seed is going to grow to be the biggest bush, and then he just kind of adds what seems unnecessary so that the birds of the air can come and nest in it, he's not just saying that the kingdom of Christ will sort of get big. He's saying that the kingdom of Christ is going to do what? Dominate. Dominate. And again, we come back to the point of that first parable. This is one of the things in my life I have to struggle to believe, and one of the things I'm trying to get you to believe. And that is that as we are faithful to do the simple but hard work of sowing the seed and living with one another, even though it looks like the things that we're doing are really simple and small, because God is blessing it and God is in it, it's going to result in amazing things. And, you know, I quote numbers like this all the time, so I won't, I won't do too much of that now. But the reason that I quote numbers like I quote, all the, let me give you one I recently read, that, and I said this, I think on a Wednesday night recently, that if you're Christian parents and you raise your children in church, there's a 20% chance they'll turn away from the Lord at some point in their life. One in five. That's terrible, isn't it? If you're a, a secular parent who raises your children secularly, there's a 40% chance they'll become evangelical Christian at some point in their life, which means you're twice as likely to become a Christian as not. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you hear this on the news? You do not. You don't even hear it in most evangelical magazines because we've been taught that we've got to lose big before Jesus comes in and cleans the mess. And what I'm saying is, what would your life look like if you believed that Jesus would actually begin to clean the mess up through your small, faithful efforts every day? How would life be different if you actually believed that the kingdom was going to come in its fullness and dominate everything? Would you have hope? Well, that's exactly what Jesus says. So the future is Christ's. I mean, we take concrete... And this is one of the banes of my existence. Basically, we put concrete anywhere we don't want grass, right? And then what grows up through the stinking concrete? Grass. Why? Because it's stronger than you think. And anything that, uh, any concrete pad, you let it sit long enough, is it going to keep the grass off? What's going to happen? There'll be trees growing up out of that mess before long, right? That's the image that Jesus is giving us here. So the future is Christ's. Let me say one more thing, though. That the future is for listeners. Look at verse 24 and 25 in the midst of all this. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. 
With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying something that many sociologists are beginning to realize and say. Uh, In a culture that is dominated by advertising, uh, sociologists are beginning to say that the number one resource that you have to give to the world, you know what it is? It's your attention. It's your attention. It's not your money. Your money follows your what? Your attention. What you look at, you want. Uh, And so the number one thing we can do, and I'm not great at this. I'm I'm standing up here with a woe is me, not an amen. The number one thing we need to, to make sure that we guard well is the things to which we give our attention. Because you become like what you look at. And so we need to be careful of what we look at. Jesus would say even more, you become like what you hear. And so this is why he says, pay attention to what you hear. And really give your attention to the word. Because if you neglect the word, then even the little bit you have, it will be what? But if you pay attention, what will happen? You'll be given more. Pay attention to what you hear. And again, if I am not preaching the Bible, then you have an obligation before God to fire me, to kick me to the curb, and to move me on. But if the Bible is being proclaimed by teachers here and the elders here, then what is our obligation? To hear And in Hebrew, that means more than just to listen. It means to listen and what? Heed. We need to focus our attention because as we focus our attention, we hear more and more of the word. We hear that voice more and more like those cochlear implants where those babies hear those voices for the first time and they look. The more we pay attention to that voice, the more we hear that voice. And the reason we want to hear that voice is because the future is Christ, the future is bright, and the future is green. The future is not for those who give their attention to a thousand other things. And that's why in chapter 4, you have that word, hear, 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 so many times. If Read chapter 4 today and just mark how many times you, you see that word, hear. And so the real application for us is this kingdom is coming The brightness will extend, the light will go, the kudzu will spread, the grass will grow to the concrete. And the way that we participate more and more and more in that overtaking and dominance of the world is to listen more and more and more to the voice of the Savior and to follow. And so let's hope, let's be patient, let's sow, and let's listen, and let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Give us ears to hear, we pray in Jesus' name.